This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hello, and thanks for joining the programme today. If you've tuned in for the first time, we're going through a text titled Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun by the Tibetan master Namkar Pal. It's a commentary on another text called The Seven Points of Mind Training. Now, according to His Holiness the Dalai Lama, the seven points are first, the preliminaries, second, the method of training in the two bodhicittas, that's conventional and deepest, third, transforming adverse circumstances into a path to enlightenment, fourth, condensation of the practice into one lifetime, fifth, the measure of having trained our attitudes, sixth, the close bonding practices for attitude training, and seventh, the points to train in for attitude training. That is how His Holiness lists the seven points in his commentary to Namkar Pal's commentary. As His Holiness points out, we have so far covered the first point, that's the preliminaries, and are now looking at the second point, the method of training in the two bodhicittas, conventional and profound. In particular, over the last few weeks, we've been concentrating on the practice of Tonglen, or taking on suffering and giving out happiness, which, of course, is counterintuitive. We usually want to take on happiness and avoid suffering. But doing that, however natural it may appear, actually deepens our problems. Why? Because always running after happiness and running from unhappiness is based on an incorrect premise and the idea that some things are good and some are bad from their own side. The incorrect premise is that things are really existing independently and inherently from their own side. But of course, according to the Buddhist understanding of emptiness, things don't exist like that at all. They are just a combination of other things, causes and conditions, and the mind that labels them. That is how they exist, but not how we see them. Take, for instance, ice cream. We think there's a thing that's independently and inherently ice cream from its own side. But that's not how it exists. It's just a combination of other things coming together and our mind labeling ice cream. And is ice cream delicious or not? Some people think so, but others don't. What does that say about the ice cream? It just proves that the ice cream from its own side is neither delicious nor is it not delicious. It is just what it is, and the mind that is in contact with it makes it yummy or yuck. However, when we conclude that something is good or bad, we are in danger of being driven by the afflictive emotions, particularly attachment and aversion, and anything driven by such emotions will never come out satisfactorily. For a short time these emotions may seem to to lead to some kind of satisfaction, but in the long term they always delude us and take us where we would much rather not be. They encourage us to continually chase after happiness even though we never find it and avoid suffering even though that is impossible. Tong Len, on the other hand, is the practice of seeing that all beings are just like oneself in wanting happiness and not wanting suffering and deciding to do something about it. Therefore, instead of chasing our own happiness only, we do what we can to bring happiness to others, even if that means taking on and relieving their suffering. 
In fact, we must be prepared to take on both our own and others' suffering. Else, how can we bring them happiness? And in fact, when we can truly do this with a pure altruistic attitude, we suddenly find that our own happiness increases greatly. The more we can purely cherish others above ourselves, the happier we become. We find that whatever we need comes our way easily and that we have many friends. Suddenly, all our dramas that seemed so important to us before become much less important and we develop the ability to bear misfortune and hardship with a mind much more at ease. So, if that is the case, it makes sense to learn and practice Tonglen, even if just to see what happens to your mind. But now, before we go on, let's set a motivation for the program today, remembering Bodhicitta, the mind that wishes to attain enlightenment for the sake of all suffering beings, everywhere and in every direction. And that is what Tonglen is aiming for. So if we can set such a heartfelt motivation, we will be creating a huge amount of positive potential. So let's take a moment to see if we have set the best motivation we can, and if not, see that we do. Thank you. If you were with us last week, you may remember that we left our last program with the words of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. In one simple sentence, he captures so poignantly what Buddhism is all about. The point here, he said, is that we need to train in trying to develop kind thoughts such that all beings may be happy. As though that's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's not. It's difficult, especially if we have negative mental habits and tendencies that encourage us to judge and criticize others. But we can overcome such tendencies because the consciousness, like everything else, is impermanent and changeable. And His Holiness also raises the question of whether it's actually worthwhile developing our mind to the point that others' happiness becomes our paramount concern. Why can't we just relax, lead an ordinary life, and leave it to all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, past, present and future, to save beings? After all, it took Shakyamuni Buddha three countless eons to become enlightened. Are we really expected to work for that long? His Holiness says, We would do well to consider that there are a lot of beings who have a special karmic bond with us, who didn't have a particularly close karmic relationship with the Buddhas of the past, so they were not able to be directly liberated by them at that time. So we must think of all beings who have a special connection with us. Then we will develop more courage to actually become enlightened ourselves in order to help them. We have to build up more and more positive connections with those beings with whom we have a relationship. His Holiness goes on to stress that in our training we have to take a long-term approach. It's not as though we can or have to become Buddha overnight. He says, even in the material world we can't put all our efforts into one strong move and expect to get immediate results. Instead, we need to work progressively in stages. Now this is true in terms of working on our mind and working on our attitudes. To improve our attitudes, we have to work gradually through stages. For instance, if we have a great deal of anger, we first have to relearn to recognize our anger and then try to see all the drawbacks of getting angry, realizing that from whatever point of view we take, anger is disadvantageous. Only then can we really start addressing the anger 
at applying antidotes or techniques that over time allow us to transcend the anger and convert its energy into the energy of loving-kindness. Thus, His Holiness says, before we get inspired to mount a white charger and charge off on a crusade to help others, we first have to deal with our own hang-ups and mental constrictions. He says, before we can have compassion for others and the wish for them to be free of their problems, we need to think about our own problems first, how we don't want them and how we would like to get rid of them. Then we'll be able to develop sympathy and compassion for others based on our own feelings coming from our own experience. All these positive states of mind are things that we work up to gradually by stages. If we say that we wish someone else to be free from problems and sufferings and we ourselves don't actually recognize the difficulties of our own problems and sufferings, how can we possibly develop a sincere wish for others to be free of their problems? If we observe somebody who is happy and content, it is rather difficult to develop a feeling of compassion for them, the wish for them to be free from problems. Yet, if we see somebody who is obviously experiencing difficulty, it's much easier to develop sympathy and this wish towards them. This, of course, is based on our own understanding of what a problem is, based on our own experience of them. Compassion for someone is actually a type of attitude that can be seen in two ways. If it is aimed towards someone else, it is sympathy and compassion. If it is directed towards ourselves, it is what we call determination to be free of our problems, or renunciation. It is the wish to be parted from suffering and problems, directed either towards ourselves, which is renunciation, or towards others, which is compassion. When we think of suffering, such as being reborn in some of the worst states of rebirth, the joyless realms and so forth, we cannot assume that this is something far removed, something far-fetched that has no relation to us or that there is no need to deal with it. We need to realize that the causes for being reborn in the worst states, all the various types of negative potentials, are built up and stored in our own mental continuums. Depending on the negative potentials on our minds, it is very possible that at any point we could fall to one of the worst rebirth states. So it's very important to think in terms of behavioral cause and effect. We need to reflect upon how fortunate we all are to have a precious human rebirth, a precious human life with abundant freedom and leisure to develop ourselves spiritually. Having this golden opportunity, it is very important not to waste it. So we think first about our precious human life, how difficult it is to attain, how easy it is to lose. This brings us to the thought of death and impermanence, since we can die at any time and don't know when. We therefore remain strongly aware of the Four Noble Truths, the nature of true sufferings, their true origins, the possibility of gaining a true stopping of these sufferings and the true pathways of mind that we can develop to achieve that. And this is how we take advantages of this precious life, by training in and building up all these states of mind. His Holiness then goes on to talk about the underlying cause for all our suffering, the selfishness that comes from what I referred to earlier as the invalid premise that things exist and have characteristics from their own side. And this is commonly known as self-grasping, or grasping at a truly established self. His Holiness says, Until now, 
We've been under the strong influence of selfishness, cherishing only ourselves. This selfish concern, which also involves grasping for a truly established self, has also caused all the problems that we've experienced since beginningless time. All of them have been brought about by our own selfishness. Considering others, if a person is extremely selfish, it doesn't matter how much time and energy they put into religious activities, they will still be considered a selfish person and they won't be able to make any spiritual progress. When a person who has been very selfish dies, everybody else will feel relief that this person has left us because he or she was such a terribly selfish person. So even if we think in terms of this lifetime, if we are a selfish person, then everybody will consider us crass and nobody will care for us. Whereas if we are selfless, always caring for others, we will be thought of as a fine person. And if we have fallen into a worse state of rebirth, we can only point the finger at selfish concern that caused such a fall, being reborn as an animal and so forth. Any difficult situation that exists can ultimately always be traced to selfish concern and self-cherishing as the cause all the way up to highly realized beings who are not able to actually achieve enlightenment due to selfish concern. All beneficial and constructive potential comes from attaining a human or a heavenly type of rebirth, all the way up to gaining liberation and enlightenment. And all of that comes from having concern for others. Even if we look at this lifetime, all good things can be traced to having a kind and warm heart. If we are a considerate person who sincerely cares about others, things work out for us in this lifetime as well. So it's important, in any situation we may find ourselves, not to be preoccupied with self-concern, but always to think of everybody. And this is mentioned in the text. Concern for others is the basis and foundation of all good qualities. Now to review the main points, by reflecting on the drawbacks of self-cherishing and selfishness, and the advantages of concern for others, we aim to develop the heartwarming love with which we cherish all others and feel deeply for their well-being. Based on that, we train in giving away our happiness to others with loving concern that they be happy and take on the problems and sufferings of others with a compassionate heart of sympathy. While it is very difficult to actually take on and remove people's problems from them, if we develop these attitudes with visualizations combined with a breath, eventually we will build up the potential so that we are actually able to take on and cure other people's problems. This is the practice called giving and taking, tonglen, taking other people's problems and giving them happiness. And that's His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Now this leads to the next section in Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun, the section with the somewhat cumbersome title The Process of Cultivating the Awakened Mind Concerned with Attaining the Fully Awakened State of Being. Nam Kapel writes this, You might wonder what practical use love and compassion could be. Great beings like the hearers and solitary realizers and bodhisattvas on the tenth stage possess boundless virtues enabling them to work for the welfare of other beings. Nevertheless, only by attaining the state of enlightenment can they place innumerable beings in the state beyond suffering, spontaneously and uninterruptedly until the end of cyclic existence, by emitting one ray of light or giving one session of discourse. In addition, 
It is only as a Buddha that you acquire perfection of your own personal fulfillment of abandonment and insight. Understanding this, you should train yourself thinking, I shall attain enlightenment to fulfill the aims of both myself and all sentient beings. The benefits and advantages of training in the awakened mind in this way can be found in the questions of Viraduta Sutra, which goes like this. If the merit of generating the awakened mind were to take physical form, it would fill the whole of space and still exceed that. Were someone to fill the Buddha fields with the most precious jewels, numerous as sand grains in the Ganges, and offer them to the protector of the world, and were someone else simply to fold his hands out of respect for the awakening mind, this latter would be the superior offering, and its merit would be boundless. The question arises, what use is love and compassion in the world? Or just go on social media and you can find so much mindless vitriol and aggression, it seems that that is what the whole world is ablaze with. Aggression, competition, rancor, bitterness and spite. Namkar Pal disregards this to explain that the greatest of all beings, the Buddhas, have trained themselves in love and compassion to such an extent that their only concern is the welfare, welfare of other beings. Not only is their love and compassion boundless, but through relying on love, compassion and bodhicitta, the awakened mind, they have the greatest power to help others with the least amount of effort. They are utterly fearless in everything they do, so they have achieved their own goals and they know exactly what each sentient being needs, even though sentient beings may not know themselves. Now all this comes about through the development of bodhicitta and wisdom based on infinite love and compassion. And then Namkapal quotes the merits of developing the awakened mind based on great love and compassion. He compares making extensive, far, far-reaching offerings of precious jewels with a single bringing of the hands together in admiration of bodhicitta, the awakened mind. Showing respect to the mind of bodhicitta based on great love and compassion far outweighs the merit making such extensive offerings of precious gems. In fact, the merit generated by such respect is without limit or boundary. Now this is all very spiritually magnificent, but His Holiness the Dalai Lama addresses this very question of the importance of love and compassion in a more down-to-earth way in a teaching entitled Compassion and the Individual on his website www.dalailama.com. He writes, Some of my friends would have told me that while love and compassion are marvelous and good, they are not really very relevant. Our world, they say, is not a place where such beliefs have much influence or power. They claim that anger and hatred are so much part of human nature that humanity will always be dominated by them. I do not agree. Part of why he disagrees actually comes earlier in the article where he states, For a start, it is possible to divide every kind of happiness and suffering into two main categories, mental and physical. Of the two, it is the mind that exerts the greatest influence on most of us. Unless we are either gravely ill or deprived of basic necessities, our physical condition plays a secondary role in life. If the body is content, we virtually ignore it. The mind, however, registers every event, no matter how small. Hence, we should devote our most serious efforts 
to bringing about mental peace. From my own limited experience, I have found that the greatest degree of inner tranquility comes from the development of love and compassion. The more we care for the happiness of others, the greater our own sense of well-being becomes. Cultivating a close, warm-hearted feeling for others automatically puts the mind at ease. This helps remove whatever fears or insecurities we may have and gives us the strength to cope with any obstacles we encounter. It is the ultimate source of success in life. As long as we live in this world, we are bound to encounter problems. If at such times we lose hope and become discouraged, we diminish our ability to face difficulties. If, on the other hand, we remember that it is not just ourselves, but everyone who has to undergo suffering, this more realistic perspective would increase our determination and capacity to overcome troubles. Indeed, with this attitude, each new obstacle can be seen as yet another valuable opportunity to improve our mind. Thus, we can strive gradually to become more compassionate. That is, we can develop both genuine sympathy for others' suffering and the will to help remove their pain. As a result, our own serenity and inner strength will increase. His Holiness goes on, Ultimately, the reason why love and compassion bring the greatest happiness is simply that our nature cherishes them above all else. The need for love lies at the very foundation of human existence. It results from the profound interdependence we all share with one another. However capable and skillful an individual may be, left alone, he or she will not survive. However vigorous and independent one may feel during the most prosperous periods of life, when one is sick or very young or very old, one must depend on the support of others. Interdependence, of course, is a fundamental law of nature. Not only higher forms of life, but also many of the smallest insects are social beings who, without any religion, law or education, survive by mutual cooperation based on an innate recognition of their interconnectedness. The most subtle level of material phenomena is also governed by interdependence. All phenomena from the planet we inhabit to the oceans, clouds, forests and flowers that surround us is in dependence upon subtle patterns of energy. Without their proper interaction, they dissolve and decay. It is because our own human existence is so dependent on the help of others that our need for love lies at the very foundation of our existence. Therefore, we need a genuine sense of responsibility and a sincere concern for the welfare of others. We have to consider what we human beings really are. We are not like machine-made objects. If we are merely mechanical entities, then machines themselves could alleviate all of our sufferings and fulfill all our needs. However, since we are not solely material creatures, it is a mistake to place all our hopes for happiness on external development alone. Instead, we should consider our origins and nature to discover what we require. Leaving aside the complex question of the creation and evolution of our universe, we can at least ag agree that each of us is the product of our own parents. In general, our conception took place not just in the context of sexual desire, but from our parents' decision to have a child. Now, such decisions are founded on responsibility and altruism, the parents' compassionate commitment to care for their child until it is able to take care of itself. 
Thus, from the very moment of our conception, our parents' love is directly in our creation. Moreover, we are completely dependent upon our mother's care from the earliest stages of our growth. According to some scientists, a pregnant woman's mental state, be it calm or agitated, has a direct physical effect on her unborn child. The expression of love is also very important at the time of birth. Since the very first thing we do is suck milk from our mother's breast, we naturally feel close to her, and she must feel love for us in order to feed us properly. Now, if she feels anger or resentment, her milk may not flow freely. Then there is the critical period of brain development from the time of birth up to at least the age of three or four, during which time loving physical contact is the single most important factor for the normal growth of the child. If the child is not held, hugged, cuddled or loved, its development will be impaired and its brain will not mature properly. Since a child cannot survive without the care of others, love is its most important nourishment. The happiness of childhood, the allaying of the child's many fears and the healthy development of its self-confidence all depend directly upon love. Nowadays, many children grow up in unhappy homes. If they do not receive proper affection, in later life they will rarely love their parents and not infrequently will find it hard to love others. This is very sad. As children grow older and they enter school, their need for support must be met by their teachers. If a teacher not only imparts academic ed education but also assumes responsibility for preparing students for life, his or her pupils will feel trust and respect, and what has been taught will leave an indelible impression on their minds. On the other hand, subjects taught by a teacher who does not show true concern for his or her students' overall well-being will be regarded as temporary and not retained for long. Similarly, if one is sick and being treated in hospital by a doctor who invinces a warm human feeling, one feels at ease, and the doctor's desire to give the best possible care is itself curative, irrespective of the degree of his or her technical skill. On the other hand, if one's doctor lacks human feeling and displays an unfriendly expression, impatience or casual disregard, one will feel anxious, even if he or she is the most highly qualified doctor and the disease has been correctly diagnosed and the right medication prescribed. Inevitably, patients' feelings make a difference to the quality and completeness of their recovery. Even when we engage in ordinary conversations in everyday life, if someone speaks with human feeling, we enjoy listening and respond accordingly. The whole conversation becomes interesting, however unimportant the topic may be. On the other hand, if a sp person speaks coldly or harshly, we feel uneasy and wish for a quick end to the interaction. From the least to the most important event, the affection and respect of others are vital for our happiness. And I'm afraid that is where we will today for our time is now up. Thank you very much for joining the program and please dedicate any positive potential to gaining enlightenment for all beings. Have a wonderful week. Goodbye. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.